0: He built this 22 years later. Is the father still alive?
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 28 of the Lee Film Podcast. I'm your co-host, Richard, and here with me are my co-hosts. Patrick. Tyler. Ty Dolla Sign, Cunningham. <laughs> and Kevin, uh, crazy,
2: cuckoo, koala, carpio. <laughs> oh, Fuck yeah.
0: Patrick P. Money. McGill. <laughs> so we have new, we have two new co-hosts.
2: Richard Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: uh, we have Patrick Bateman. Yeah,
2: he's chilling in the corner watching
3: himself in the mirror. <laughs> Patrick I, Bellman. The whole time we podcast, I have a mirror on the
0: wall behind Kevin. I'm just flexing into it. <laughs> yeah, just like... <laughs> <laughs> Just checking out his jawline. God damn, I'm chiseled.
2: uh, Sorry, uh, what were we we talking about?
1: (laughs) So, uh, we are a film podcast where we get together to discuss gems of cinema. And now, before we get into our feature review, let's discuss some tidbits that we like to sprinkle in for our either recommendations or news. So, um... Yeah, Kevin, would you want to start with yours?
2: Yeah, I started watching The Boys Season 2, and uh, it's been a while since I last watched it, so I forgot a lot of the major plot points, and I also skipped the recap. So for a good portion of the episode, I had no idea what was going on, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's part of the fun of it. Um, Aside from that, um, I don't know, I have not been watching that many movies recently, which is weird. Um, and like I prior to watching, um, Columbus last night, um, I haven't watched a movie in like a month or so, and that's really weird, what?
0: yeah. Because oh, usually, wow. I, usually I try to watch one like at least a week. Well, I've done two podcasts in like the last month, We've oh, yeah, yeah. Two.
2: Well, I mean, like on my own, yeah, you know, like being like, oh, like I'm not doing anything, and let me just pop I'm pretty bad, like,
0: honestly. I've watched like maybe one or two. Like a month outside the podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, same
0: here. I'll watch more. I'll watch more TV though.
2: Uh, Pat, have you been watching movies, Mister? Well, you guys are slacking off.
0: Mister, three movies a night. <laughs> no,
2: I'm I'm slacking off because my internet was
3: down, and now I'm jamming in three to catch up. I think I caught up tonight. I think tonight's maybe just two movies. But yeah, I'm doing the film with day challenge. And I've lost so much sleep, I kind of forget which movies I've watched. I know I've, seen, I've seen some good
0: ones. So you got two to watch tonight after.
3: I think two. got to do the math. i got to take out my list <laughs> and just check stuff. I've got to
0: pull them. out the
3: calculator. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> Cosine tangents. Shit <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Logarithms. <laughs> uh, Patrick, do you have any notable films that you're looking forward to for your challenge? Oh yeah, I, uh,
3: I still haven't seen Hiroshima, Monomore. And I think I have Woman in the Dunes. Those are both from you, Kevin. And uh, what else is there? I've seen a lot of the good ones. Uh, there's a Pedro Am- Amaladorva movie in there. I think uh, All About My Mother. And yeah, uh, The Human Condition, one and two. And I heard there's a three, so I gotta I gotta find out where to stream that. And then I gotta find a short film about love to stream as well. Oh,
2: I'll I'll come back to that.
3: Okay, yeah, I know there's like films directly connected to the films I've seen so far, and a trilogy I have lined up. I don't have the third one. I watched Yvonne's childhood. I watched uh, Streetwise, 1984 documentary. Really, really good. It's top three documentaries for me now. Oh. It's really harsh. I remember seeing your post
0: on that. That be yeah. sick. It's a great shout out to Sacramento. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it based in Sac?
3: No, but the, one of the main kids is a runaway from Sac
1: who's oh, homeless shit. in Seattle. Yeah, just another person that hates Sacramento, man. Yeah. Just like Redditor right
3: Wake. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to a random guy, in, a random kid in Seattle. He's like, oh, yeah, Sacramento sucks. <laughs> yeah.
0: Fuck. It's like a secret that all knows. Uh, we just totally... Didn't we just, like, bash Zach last, yeah. last episode? That's yeah. why I love the
1: movie. We didn't bash it, actually. We just exposed it. You only hate the things you love.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we get deep. <laughs> oh, well, but, um, both of them are on Criterion. Nice. So, yeah, if you want my login, like... It's, um... Yeah.
0: <laughs> I Wait, get it. Can you mention that again, Kevin? Can you Sorry. say it slowly? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... Yeah,
2: yeah, so if you just, yeah, it has like
0: Honestly, then, if you yeah. put out your login I would I would be hyped If it got stolen by like 10 people <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like it'd get stolen By like 3 yeah, or 4 or we're gonna get More subscribers
1: <laughs> it'd, it'd probably like, just yeah. be you guys like. <laughs> <laughs> you Steal
3: it and pass the blame On the non-existent fan base
0: <laughs> I just finished Barry though Oh yeah Which Richie put me on Yes, I did that was dope. Funny show. Good show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Uh you were texting me the other day how you The night you showed me it, I watched
0: the uh... uh... I think I watched the whole first season Oh wow No, 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 no I watched like six episodes Mm -hmm. And we started watching it at like 11 (laughs) Yeah Yeah. (laughs) At like 4am How long are the episodes? Only 30 minutes Mm -hmm. Six episodes would be three
1: hours Yeah Oh yeah, just about
0: I might have watched the whole first season then actually That night (laughs) Yeah (laughs) only eight
1: episodes Yeah, it's addicting How many seasons are there? Just two Dang (laughs) Eight episodes a season And then uh, yeah, it's no more than half an hour
0: I keep running into this, though. I just thought of this when I'm watching shows. Do you guys, or uh, movies or anything, when people are in, like, a store or wherever, anywhere public, and they don't, they're not wearing masks, it feels, <laughs> it almost feels like, not, not that I'm like, why aren't they wearing masks? I'm just like, it almost seems weird to me. I'm like, it's, like, foreign now. I think Being like, able to walk, like, in Columbus, like, hospital scenes. No one's wearing a mask in the hospital. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it'll never happen again, probably.
2: <laughs> it gets to me the most when I see people get, like, really close up to, to one another. And, like, shows and movies and stuff. Like, they're, like, talking to each other, like, you know, like, like, whispering and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, I just see, like, the germs spraying from one mouth onto the
0: face of the other person. I'm wondering, like, when people's, like, movies in the next five years, like when a character goes into the gas station, are they going to have that character put on a mask every time?
1: Mm-hmm. You're gonna
0: walk in there. You and know, because that's what you have <laughs> to do pretty much. At least, I don't know. At least like in California. I don't know about Texas and shit. But.
3: <laughs> I think it Almost. dates your movie too much. Like it locks it in a certain time space. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I think a lot of people want to avoid unless it's a part of the narrative. I would, I would think if you were just mm-hmm. doing like a romance
0: comedy. No, that makes sense, yeah. But if you do anything, I guess, set like in today, you would have to do a mask to to be to make it realistic, no?
2: Yeah, I feel oh, like, I if you were it's just, like it's just a
0: different one, like, yeah, I it's feel just like a different world, too. I guess it could just
1: be a movie yeah, without guess, COVID because we uh, still probably have to go through the year and even probably on to next wearing masks. So, this has been like a what almost two to three year time to <clears go. throat> Mm-hmm. So, if anyone, if people are going to do films that service the story about, or like, I guess pertaining to COVID, or like that is relevant Well, to, for sure, yeah. if COVID's involved, mm-hmm. or I'm just
0: talking like, even if okay. COVID's not even like right. really talked about in the movie at all, but it's set in like 2021
1: mm-hmm.
0: in like California.
2: Oh, yeah, then, yeah. yeah. If you like want to, if they're trying to like stick to what it was actually like, then yeah. I mean, it's also, like you said, like, it's dependent upon where it is, like, Mm -hmm. because some places just don't do it, (laughs) like, like, even in Citrus Heights, like, I see the majority of people I, like, see, like, just walking around have no masks on and anything, like, yeah. Oh, um, when, when the pandemic, like, first started, how long did you guys think that it would, like, go on for?
1: I definitely thought it would definitely bleed into 2020. I didn't... well, I mean, uh, 2021, I meant, but I didn't think it would potentially go into next year.
0: I thought it would be at least like a year for sure. Mm-hmm. Like at least a year.
1: I
3: thought half a year if we were on top of it. If we were
2: like New Zealand. If we were, <laughs>
3: yeah, if we were like a good country.
2: Or like China. <laughs> or
3: like, <laughs> like,
2: if we to
0: science. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Like I'm uh, at my work, they're like talking about like opening it back up again, and where I work, it's it's a very it's a highly public place, and there's a lot of people, and my first thought, like they're asking me, like oh, like what are some of your ideas for, or what would you like to see um, when we open up? And I'm, like, my first thought was, like, this is going to be fucking bad. <laughs> like, like I mean, the, the people already don't listen to us, like, already. <laughs> and, like, when when we're, like, being like, hey, like, you can't, like, stand that close to each other. Or, like, hey, like, uh you got to wear a mask, like, when you come in here. I feel like they're just going to, like, lay lay into all of us. And I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> you
3: should have told your boss you want a gun under your workstation. <laughs> so you just shoot rude people and people without masks. Just like, just like
2: a sawed off shotgun, just like twirl it. <laughs> now, what if there's more than one person being rude? <laughs>
0: just got a guns placed all throughout the library.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty common, right? Like, <laughs> in America, yeah. Yep, good old America.
1: So, um, besides, uh, your recommendation, Tyler, uh, HBO Barry, I kind of want to talk about that too, cause I did watch it like just before you did. And I did finish a series before recommending it. And, um, yeah, I like how relevant it is to, I guess, kind of our film group in a way, because we had, we worked in film and we know how it's like to work in production and, and to be in front of the camera as well. And, um. Yeah, there are really great scenes where characters have to do monologues and, like, they're deciding which films they want to (laughs) do. Or, like, somebody wants to do, like, a monologue from Doubt. And it's, like, really dark (laughs) monologues. They're wondering, like, you know, should we do it? And, like, will it, like, bum people out? Or, you know, somebody um, did a monologue from True Romance, like uh, Gary Oldman's uh, character. Uh, Yeah.
0: Or, like, he does... tries to do a monologue based off his life and then just turns it into the heart.
1: <laughs> oh yeah <of> climax scene <laughs> and everyone like knows that's like the thing <laughs> so yeah um, yeah the show is brilliant I like the fact that it parallels um, a man's uh, passion even though he may not be good at it as opposed to something that he does do for a living that it makes up like all of his salary and he's really good at it, but he doesn't want to do it anymore, which is being a hitman. He's really good at killing people, but he just, you know, does not want to do that anymore. And he wants to be an actor, which is really interesting. And I like that Bill Hader created no co-created wrote and directed the show. So brilliant talent. Uh, yeah. And besides that, I, uh, started watching attack on Titan because Tyler, you were talking about it and I, so I decided to get on it now. Um, I watched about eight episodes into season one. So, yeah, I'm on the ninth episode. I'm really liking it so far. I'm glad that I got back into it. And, um yeah, I'm really loving the characters. Uh, there's a character named uh, Mikasa, who she's my favorite character.
0: Yeah, she's fucking...
1: She's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I just love the animation style. Uh, even the... The animations for the Titans are really uncanny, like it's kind of creepy. Like cuz all of the main characters, their animation style is just like very cartoony like, you know, you know how anime looks. But when you look at the Titans, they look very almost like human-like. So I like the deliberate choice of making them look more human even though they're like Titan sized. And <laughs> when you get like a close-up shot of their faces, it looks really um creepy yeah uncanny like so um that's one of the things that really stood out to me about the um the anime and um yeah and uh yeah i can't wait to talk more about it later on so yeah, i can't wait to catch up
0: you guys you're <laughs> caught up you guys are caught up no oh, no i'm no, not caught okay. up
2: i, I got uh, the final season to, uh, okay uh that's on i forget what it what's it on or do you know what it's it's
0: like? on like hulu oh nice song on hulu funimation tight roll.
2: And the ending of the first episode, though?
0: Dude, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's, like, one of the best first episodes of yeah, the show. Yeah, really great mm-hmm.
1: um, opener. Really knows how to grab your attention. And, and It's uh, just
0: fucking yeah. brutal from the get.
1: Yeah, yeah it's uh, fast-paced. Um, yeah, I just don't know what to expect. So, 22 episodes, right? A season or something like that? I think so, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a lot for me to um, get to. So it's very different when you're watching like a ten to twelve episode series, and then watching like an anime and watching twenty plus episodes. So I'm kind of not used to it. So
2: dude, I full on binge like season two, like or no season one and two, like when I first started watching it, like all within the span of like three days. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I was I was hooked. Like I feel like season three is the best for sure. Like Captain Levi. Once he gets in there... Shit, it's primo. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm almost caught up, so I'm gonna, I want to start a new anime, and it's either going to be Evangelion. Ooh. I've had multiple people, other than you guys, not tell me to watch that. Uh, my sister's boyfriend... Who I work with now he's like have you watched Evangelion? I'm oh like, man I'm like oh dude we're bringing you on the pod they're gonna, gonna love you <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the cold <laughs> it's either that or Hunter Hunter I've been told by a lot of people oh. to watch Hunter Hunter yeah, and enough. I guess there's a movie coming out for Hunter Hunter
2: I think Hunter Hunter was made by the same person who made Yu Yu Hakusho I think. oh really? I, oh, think, wow. yeah. I fucking used to love that when I was a kid dude I, oh man like don't even get me started on, on Yu, Yu Yu Hakusho <laughs> dude that was my shit I, I like started re-watching that oh yeah that's that's something I've been watching um, I kind of fell off though after the
0: dark tournament yeah th- that's what it was where he has to go through like the five levels or some shit and yeah and fight each person through the door god I was mm. so fucking sick <laughs> I just remember, I, I haven't watched it since I was, like, 10 years old. <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> just the radish shit when I was mm-hmm. that age. <laughs> Toonami was on the, in the yeah. game. Yeah, it was on Toonami. Yeah, I was, like, yep. they had, like, Yu Yu Hakusho and then Dragon Ball Z. And then, uh, fuck, I can't remember what was was. Doom
2: Kenshin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, like, mm-hmm. later. That was the yeah. later show. It was, like, right
0: when you get off of school, too. Like, you yeah. get off of school at 3 and, like, Yu Yu Hakusho would come at 3.30 or 4. And
1: Outlaw Star, the big O. Oh, Outlaw
2: and they would, they would have yeah. the video game reviews, too. Mm-hmm. I remember I God, first found out about Twilight ways. Princess
1: and from that. Man, I was like, oh. Yeah, man. Kids, kids growing up nowadays are just missing out. They don't know what it's like to be a, a 90s, 2000s kid now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, we had Tom. Tom to shepherd us into yeah. adult or teen,
1: teenage years. We had Fat Tom. We had Skinny Tom. We had Tom. <laughs> as
0: soon going to be a podcast 20 years from now, they're just going to reminisce about, like, tiktok videos
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to even remember some just because they just go by so fast like I don't I don't know how tiktok can be like a lasting discussion other than if we just like critique it <laughs> like you know like you ever watch that tiktok video and you're like yeah cool we'll talk about it for like 15-20 minutes we'll have a philosophical discussion about it
3: yeah <laughs> no, they're gonna be too busy fighting the machines <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: <laughs> Mr. Anderson <laughs>
0: that's another future that'd be cool
1: <laughs> oh fun fact the actor in season 2 of Barry in that episode you watched about the the, the uh, guy yeah the guy with uh, the, the karate champion and his daughter um, yeah he's uh, he played Mr. Johnson in The Matrix oh uh, yeah so yeah he is, uh, his martial arts skills are legit
0: <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. it's like wow you got a lot of fucking metal <laughs> <laughs> whose trophies are these <laughs>
1: if you guys haven't figured it out watch barry it's on hbo and if you have hbo max you can watch it on hbo max so yeah with that being said anybody have anything else before we just segue into a review of columbus Alright, let's talk about it. So, uh, this week I chose Columbus, a 2017 feature film debut by Koganada who wrote, directed, and edited this film. So yeah, I uh, just decided to pick this film. I didn't really know what it was about besides just the um, synopsis, which is um, um, about a man named Jen who goes to... Um, columbus in indiana
3: Mm i thought it was ohio no No, it's it's indiana indiana Indiana. Mm
1: okay and um so he goes there to tend to his ailing father because he had collapsed into a coma and while he's there he meets this young um woman who is an uh, architecture enthusiast and they strike up an unlikely friendship So yeah, anyone want to, um, start off with their impressions of this film? Um, well, maybe I can give a little bit of background on Koganada. He's, um, so he he was born in South Korea and he started off his career as a, a film video essay, uh, video essayist <laughs> is that a word right um so he did a lot of uh, film analysis and video essays on youtube for like such channels like uh sight and sound and he uh is very much inspired by italian japanese um like european directors so um a lot of his influences are in this film just the way it's shot with all its symmetry so definitely like some kubrick Anderson vibes um what's Anderson not Paul W.S. Anderson but uh yeah so this is his first film and um yeah I chose this because it was really interesting because I was thinking about which Asian American film that I could find or even think about and there's not too many in this modern day and we already I know we already did one for the half of it Mm -hmm. definitely listen to that review that we did a while back but um, yeah, I decided, you know, we need to do more and uh, we definitely needed to see some John Cho <laughs> on this, <laughs> talk about him on this uh, episode. So, um, and Haley Lee Richardson, who's brilliant in this film. Um, yeah, I loved her uh, ever since I saw her in Split and I saw her in Support the Girls. And um, she's a terrific uh, young and up and coming actress.
3: Has he made anything after this? Oh, no. Yeah.
0: I feel like this movie grew on me. Grew on me a lot. Because at the first 30 minutes, I was not filming it at all, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it could have been because I was in, like, it was early and I was in the wrong mindset, maybe. Because once I came back and started watching it, I think, or it just, I started getting interested in the story like 40 minutes in. Forty-five minutes in, like when they're both sitting in the car, when she goes to meet them she's like, "Hey, I want to show you this building or whatever," and that's when I got like started really getting invested in it. But I'm curious to see what you guys say. But I liked it. I liked it a lot. The freaking cinematography, which just blew me away, by Alicia Christian. So good.
3: <clears throat> yeah, I watched it twice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I watched it a second time to be sure. I watched it today after work as well. I just, just, just rewatch rewatching, okay, because my, my feelings about the film were so nebulous. And they still kind of are. Like, there's stuff I like about the film, like the cinematography and the use of architecture. I really enjoy but it falls into it falls into the one trappings for me of like the message and philosophy of the movie it doesn't resonate with me at all and the characters I see their motivations or I see their like their their the characters' volumes value systems also conflicted with me and like stuff the film was saying didn't sit well with me and I've been trying to make parallels to the Fountainhead as much as I can but they're kind of forced but I'll do that later
2: I I definitely agree this movie movie has me feeling uh, conflicted after watching it because um, there were like brief moments that popped in and out and I want to say like when it got to 20 minutes in there was a a, there was a nice conversation between the two main characters like they're just walking down the street um, like smoking cigarettes and stuff and um I like for the for the 20 minutes beforehand I was just it was it was tough for me to like get through because like I just wasn't I was like trying to figure out what was going what they were getting at and what the purpose of those shots leading up to that moment were um I felt like they could have just not had the they could have they could have cut a lot from this movie um because I'm all for mundane movies I think that there's a lot of beauty and mundanity, like especially with like uh, like the one that we watched um the scent of green papaya um that one I would argue is more mundane than or no it's like it's pretty it's pretty up there with this one um but this one it felt like there it was lingering in those moments for i don't know I'm still trying to figure figure out what the feeling I got from it was, but the movie felt very strained very strained um in terms of uh characters and like their motivations Mm -hmm. and even like with uh with conversing with one another and like pat you bring up a good point with the value systems too um for me i like up until like the very end i was like why are these people relishing and and their like self-inflicted misery so much and I, I gotta say like at the end I'm I'm happy with the ending that we got It's better than what I thought was gonna happen um, and so I so I do give the movie props for that I because I mean like I, I think back to like days that I've had like that where I felt like just caught up in my own malaise and um, just you know trudging through the day and doing the same exact thing day in and day out. And not really having much going for me, and this movie felt very much like those days to me. So I, I definitely could relate to it on that level. But like, still, like there were so many moments where I was like, "What? What are these?" Uh, uh, <laughs> like the characters, man, the characters. I want to jump in on that
3: because you just gave me this idea. But it's like it's very much slow cinema and very intentional, like the slow dolly. Of them walking along the fence, mm-hmm. and they stop at the door to the fence. It's like, oh, I see the stuff. But like you said, it's like it doesn't have the my dinner with Andre level of dialogue or personality busting through and carrying the slow moments. The cinematography is really good, and like the I love some of the architecture stuff, especially the one at the end. I don't want to spoil it, but I think that image there's a striking image in there, and where it's the whole the meaning of what. Jin is looking for in the notes is what is represented on that image. But that's like five seconds, ten seconds of this whole film, and then we got another five minutes of these characters whose motivations and values I don't relate to, and I think are from either an uneducated position or like a position of... I don't know, it's just something where
2: Prosperity, that's, that's the thing that I got.
3: Yeah, especially Jin, but it's not meant to be intentional, but even... I forget her name now because I just was thinking of Yeah, Casey. Like, oh, that's the protagonist. But yeah, her... her neighborhood in life, it's like one alley that go, main roads go through and there's like fences away in the distance and then we're just inside and maybe a doorway where it's like... But they're playing her up. They're playing her class up in comparison to Jin's but we don't see a realistic representation of what that class is or what that experience is. It's very like Hollywood or, not Hollywood, but it's just like a thing of like, oh my, this character has this flaw, I gotta support them because they have this flaw. It's one of those things Hollywood media does, like this person has this flaw and they're flawed and they are unsavable, except for our protagonist who can save them, they're damaged goods, they're the lower, of the low, we don't care about their story. We're going to follow Casey and Jin's adventure, which the film's doing, but it's just show the reality of that experience parallel or just don't set Casey in that environment if you're not going to lean into it or build on it.
2: Yeah, it felt like it was only touching the surface with it. I mean, there were some scenes where it um, it was trying to, like, scratch a bit deeper with it, but it felt like it was, I don't know, it felt very forced in terms of... um, being able to, like, um, carry forth the the narrative with, um, especially her mother's character and her development. And there were, like, so many other moments where, um, where Casey was, like, just going throughout the day. And then, like, she would just be reminded of all these things. And some of the interactions were just, like, so cut and dry. Like, they had, like, no... Um, I don't know. Like, as I was watching, I'm like, what? Like... The yeah, that's what I'm
0: saying I, I was like when it, it started getting like I started getting interested in the movie like 45 minutes in and I was like that's why I turned it off I was like I can't watch this right now I'm like tired and maybe maybe I'm just too tired or whatever and I'm in the wrong mindset but then I feel better now because I'm like not that it was bad but I was just like it was just so yeah like you were saying like slow cinemas I like that and it's interesting and it like the characters weren't interesting enough to me for me to be interested in the movie. I was just like, alright, what are we doing here? <laughs>
2: like, mm-hmm. like, it felt like um it reminded me of uh, what's it called? Oh, what's that one movie? Uh Pet was your pick. The two... Um, where uh, We Belong? Yeah, it reminded me of Where We Belong where it's like the story about somebody who's like in the process of saying goodbye to their hometown. And... But for for some reason or another, she's, like, just lingering there. And it's like, okay, you're lingering. Well, I mean, we
1: we do understand why. um, Are you talking about um, and where we belong, why she's lingering there? Or are you talking about Casey, like, why she's lingering?
2: I'm talking about, like, um, well, both of them, they're lingering there for, obviously, for different reasons. And I think that in Casey's case... It seemed like she was intent- – well, of course, she was intentionally lingering there and, like, wanting to be like, oh, I'm going to stay here for my mother and stuff. But it felt like she was kind of, like, relishing it as opposed to uh, the main character and Where We Belong. Um, but the one thing um, – one thing that I really appreciated about this movie in the end was um, – because at first I, I was like, okay, I get it. It's about architecture. I get, like, there's cool cinematography about all these buildings and stuff. And then like, um, with the discussions, I was like, it was hard for me to, um, it was hard for me to engage with the conversations that Casey was like having with Jen about like the, uh, why she appreciated them, why she appreciated the buildings and whatnot. But like towards the end, I was like, wait a minute, I think I'm getting it now. Like, especially like, I don't want to give it away, like right away, right here, but um, there's a moment where you start to see like a change in perspective, on, um, you know, valuing the the mundanity in your hometown, and like seeing all these like these things that give it its character, and seeing why it why she actually finds all these buildings so moving to her.
1: Because are you referencing to the moment where um, before she found out about? the history of those buildings that when she said, oh yeah, and then the moment like I learned about them is when suddenly her perspective changed and that she felt like she was in a totally different place now. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. like, because I don't think I've ever seen a movie that has, that is not a love, well, I haven't seen a movie that's a love letter to architecture. And this was the first one that I've seen. And it was, I mean, as as with like all things that are, um, That are new. It's hard to get used to at first, and like I can't even tell you how many like albums I've listened to it on upon like first listening. Did not like them whatsoever, but then for one reason or another, I came back to it like months later, and it's like one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, But yeah, this movie got me to change my own perspective on what it means to, you know, value such things as like architecture in your own like hometown. And it doesn't even have to be limited to that. It could just be like landmarks or, um, just, I don't know, just little moments, especially like there's this, it's not really a spoiler, but it's, um, there's like a young girl just like playing in the grass and then she just looks up and, like, sticks her tongue out at the character, like, across the street. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, like, just those little beautiful moments. It's, it's funny you, you bring up even that moment about the little girl, too, because, um, like I mentioned before, Koganada, uh, he was a video essayist, and he did, which you guys should actually watch. Um, but, uh, yeah, not only did you mention that it was a love letter to architecture, but it's just also a love letter to um, neorealist cinema. And Koganada really loves... That kind of cinema, and um, and going back to what you're talking about, how you um mentioned that some scenes should have been cut, or you know, there is some mendanity within those scenes. Um, Coconata <laughs> actually did a video essay about um, a film I, for, I forgot the name already, but um, it's a film by Vittorio um, De Sica, yeah, De Sica, and he did a film, and then David O. Selznick took over and recut that film or there was like a clash between those two directors and you did a video essay on like the difference between how they cut that film and pretty much oh selznick uh cut the film in a way where he took out all the mendanity, he took out all the long shots it was pretty eye-opening because yeah he did get a lot of his influence from tisika and how he Um, had all these like long takes or some of these like shots of either the people or the buildings and you can tell that he really appreciates the environment and like how yeah like the architecture in Columbus itself is like a character and um, yeah so that's part of like the influence that he had and um, I do appreciate the fact that he um, did not Succumb to like the Hollywood system or to someone like David O. Selznick, who would probably cut this film a lot and probably like cut out 20 minutes worth maybe um, to speed up uh, the plot because like everyone was saying, um, the pacing was a bit of a problem, uh, which kind of was for me too. Like I, within the first 10 minutes, I was just like, okay, well, you know, where's this story going? When is it picking up? I don't understand what's going on. But then I realized, like, the parallels between, like, Jin's relationship with his dad and Casey's relationship with her mother and how, um, how Jin's resentment towards his father makes Casey, in a way, at least for me, and no spoilers, but in a way, she kind of has contempt for Jin because of that. She's probably thinking, like, you know, why, you know, you should have love for your dad no matter what. And that related to me um I felt like a lot of Jin's character is relatable because they do have subtle nods to him being uh Asian American and they don't like lean into it too heavily but they're you know the first time he meets Casey there is a reference to him speaking Korean and then then speaking English and um yeah that's just like one part of the film that I really related to and even the whole idea of like you having to stick with family no matter what really uh, resonated with me because you know growing up when I didn't have the best relationship with my family and when I would talk to my friends about it or um, I would always feel dismissed. Someone always said, "Well, they're your brother or they're your father or they're your mother. Like you shouldn't feel like that or you shouldn't hate them because you know that they love you." And I'm just thinking like that's not the point of me feeling this way. You know, like, you don't understand. Um, Yeah, which is, like, in reference to, like, Rory Culkin's character when he was talking to Casey in the beginning um, about, like, how she... uh, He was mentioning, like, a job, how you, like, you need a master's degree or something. And she felt really slighted by him because he was trying to tell her, like, oh, like, you know, like, I understand. I understand where you're coming from, so just tell me. And then she just kind of, like, looks at him and was like, what are you... Like, you can tell, like, that's why she wasn't really feeling their friendship or whatever potential relationship they could have. Just because he's really dismissive of her own feelings. And so when she talks to Jin, she feels at the same level as him. He treats her like a peer. So, yeah, those parts really, really, um, yeah, they really got to me and I, I felt... I don't know a connection to both Casey and Jin and uh yeah the whole idea of staying where you are because of family and yeah I don't know I love that parallel between the two and how one had to let go and one had to stay and um I can I can't imagine how hard that would have been so yeah um anyone have any lasting impressions before we give our review and jump right into spoilers I think I'm ready to go. Okay. Um, I'll give this film a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, like Tyler said, it definitely grew on me. Uh, when I finished it a few days ago, I didn't really know how to feel about it. I uh, wasn't quite sure how much I liked it. I knew I liked it, but um, after giving it some time and even um, you know listening to other people's thoughts and reviews, which I'll mention later... Um, I see all the influences now. I see all the influences from, you know, like One Car Y and Richard Linklater, Wes Anderson, and Kubrick, which are all pretty obvious um, comparisons. If you knew about Koganata's work and um, how much of a film nerd he was, so
3: yeah. I'll give the film a two point seven five. I like the cinematography. I like the architecture. Uh, I found both characters to have aspects of them I had content for. And certain aspects of the script's writing or just overall themes I really did not enjoy. And I wonder how much of it's intentional, or which is, again, my personal connotation and view of the film. But I'll try to articulate those later.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give it a three out of a five same like the cinematography was amazing and the architecture like that that shot they kept going back to of like the two parallel brick buildings it's one of my favorite shots but yeah like honestly I wasn't a fan of uh, John Cho's character at all really but um, Casey's character I loved I felt like Haley Haley Lou Richardson right is that she did it she had a great performance and, um yeah, I think it's just, like, the plot of the movie it just wasn't enough for me. And I also know, like, that's also, like, the storyline of, like, all the—I don't want to get into spoilers, but, like, the dynamic between parents and the stuff I haven't had to deal with yet or just haven't had to deal with, luckily— so I think that's also that could just be my you know my perspective of it, of it and other people it probably hits harder for other people but yeah, and then also just the beginning of the film I think it just if anything I think a lot could be cut out from the beginning of the of the movie whereas like the 40 minute mark of the film I feel like is when it starts to get interesting and it's like you could they could have moved that to like the 8 minute mark or 15 minute mark of the movie and it would have maybe caught caught my eye more
2: i'm gonna give this movie a three out of five i th- i felt the writing and direction was the th- two things that really undid it for me in terms of um in terms of understanding what um the message was of the movie i felt like it was i felt like there was enough substance and had it been condensed a bit more it would have been it would have come across better in execution for my own personal tastes. Um I felt I mean, like I said, I'm a fan I'm a huge fan of slow cinema. Um like with uh Epichitong i love his movies and Tarkovsky of course and um oh gosh, like there's 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 a lot. But um this movie I could definitely see the influences from uh, neorealism and even from, like, Ozu and stuff. Um, but I felt like it was skating by on aesthetics for the most part because the characters were not doing it for me. Um, I felt like John Cho's character was, he was, like, it was, like, self-inflicted nihilism and with... But in the, I want to say for like three quarters of the movie, it felt like that. Um, and there were like a, a few moments that led me questioning, like, okay, what's what's his, what's his deal right now? Um, which we'll get into later. Um, and then with a uh, with uh, the wait, what, what was her name? Um, Casey. She, well, Casey. Okay. With uh, Casey's character, I feel like she was. I don't know it felt very self-indulgent on both of their ends in terms of why they were choosing to stick around with one another. I get that they were like finding comfort, comfort in one another, but it felt like it was it felt like a bad therapy session, like where it's it's just bringing up bad things for the pleasure of indulging in it. And but like I said, the the things that made me appreciate the movie were you know the the change in perspective at the end like it was all building up to that point of course um which i appreciated and i am glad that i'm finally able to see a movie that had like a unique take on something that i'm not familiar with which is architecture i literally have no clue when it comes to architecture um and it was cool to be able to be exposed to this and see like there's that one moment which isn't a spoiler um but like um John Cho's character is like oh like I don't like I don't care about architecture I want to know why it moves you though like tell me why it moves you and I found that to be like really poignant and it's like when they were able to not step on their own feet I feel like the movie shined at its best but with the writing and direction it just felt it it just it was all I don't know like I said I feel like it was skating by on aesthetics for the most part instead of getting to the core and um yeah the writing it felt like i couldn't tell if it was the acting or the writing that was that was killing it for me um cuz like i like some of the things that they were saying I was like okay that that makes sense for them to say that you know judging by how these characters have been acting but at the same time it's like why does it feel so stunted and why does it feel so repressed i feel like that's the word that i would describe this movie best as repressed and, um, I don't know if like that was, if that was the point of it or not, but I feel like it's just causing me to be so ambivalent towards this movie. And, um, I want to bring up a quote from, a, a director named Abbas Kirostami and he says, I prefer the films that put their audience to sleep in the theater. Some films have made me doze off in the theater, but the same films have made me stay up at night. Wake up thinking about them in the morning and keep on thinking about them for weeks. So, um, the reason why I brought that up is because maybe this film is like that for me. Because there have been, like I said with albums earlier, um, some things that I get exposed to, like, you know, upon first uh, uh, experience with them, it gets me to, I don't know, like sometimes I, it doesn't it doesn't hit at all, but then like weeks later it'll come back into my mind and I'll like start thinking about it again, and then I'll go back to it, and then I have a whole other change in perspective on it. So it might be the case for this movie. I don't know.
1: Okay, so um, that is it for our I guess first initial impressions of the film. So now we'll be diving into spoilers. So if you got this far and you haven't seen the film yet. At least, I'll say <laughs> that I would highly recommend this film. I um, thought it was very poignant and very uh, resonating, and uh, yeah, I felt a lot of those things from both characters. Um, yeah, uh, you can rent this movie. Uh, I believe on YouTube and Google, um, it's you can definitely find it on any uh, streaming service. So yeah, let's jump right into our spoiler review. tired of it? No, not at all. And i get to interact with all these interesting people from all over the world.
0: The problem with being a tour guide is that you stop seeking, become some arbiter of tidbit facts that you'd start repeating over and over. You'd hate it.
3: All right. It's the writing.
0: Yeah, I would say so too. Because the John Cho and Hayley Richardson I think both were great Performance wise. I don't think it has anything to do with their acting. Mm-hmm.
3: There's a line uh, in the beginning between Casey and her mom. I forget the exact intro, but like I put a spice in it to make it subtle. Oh yeah. Casey's mom. What's subtle? That's bad writing. You learn that word in fifth grade, fourth grade. Unless you dropped out at fifth grade or fourth grade, you know what subtle means. It's just there's so many little so many little lines that I think these good actors were made to say that are like that, where just, for some reason I hooked onto some of them like, that is not something that's not good. That line jumped out to me right away. Like why are they having this back and forth about subtle and what it means? Not literally or not, not in like a different interpretations, but just like what literally, what is the definition of subtle? My character and this goes to the other themes. I think the writer may not have been intentionally dunking on, but it's just like it's revealed her mother's a m- former meth addict, and it's just when you get that knowledge and you see the other lines, it's like, oh, they're I get they're poor, but they're not evil and dumb, or they're not just dumb. Like <laughs> they're not. What they know what subtle means. It's what? a word. Wait, that was the that the impression?
1: Word? That was what that question was. I didn't but really it's like, get it's, that.
3: It's a through current of this person writing it. You don't write that line without, like...
0: I feel like it was, like, they're trying to make a parallel to the fucking film. They're like, oh, it's a subtle film. And maybe the writers thought they were being, like... Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. Subtle? Subtle? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I fuck! I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, like that was like in the first 15 minutes of the movie, and I'm just that was one of the scenes where I'm like, what is the point of this right now? I, there's nothing. I feel like there's no like relationship. Ending. I did not even know that was her mom at that point. I honestly thought it was her roommate.
2: Yeah, I thought I it was like God, a, I, I thought it was like a roommate or like a, a or like an aunt. Or yeah, something.
0: I did not get a mom daughter relationship until she said like oh whatever something about my mom I, I was like oh shit that's her well, mom her, yeah
1: and her mom is played by Michelle Forbes cause that, um, she also
0: looks young look younger too her mom looks younger so they kinda you know I didn't, like I didn't, people think me and my parents are like brother and sister all the time because my parents are so fucking young so it makes sense but
1: she probably just looks young I mean
0: she's 56 yeah. <laughs> but yeah like that, that I agree Pat that's just I think that's just
2: the, the character who bugged me the most was the, um, was his. I don't even know what her relationship was. Oh, that was a funny one. When
3: oh, I first the, saw the that, like, assistant chick to yeah, his dad? Yeah. I thought that was, like, a trophy wife. So, like, yeah, so I. I was like, I, I
2: totally. See, I was like, <laughs> the entire movie, well, for a good portion of it, I thought that, like, it was his, exactly, like you said, his trophy wife. Or, um, his, yeah, Jin's, Jin's father's trophy wife. And then, like, when they started, um, that one scene where they're both uh oh shoot was it when they're in the car and like they stop hanging out and then he goes and hangs out with her mm-hmm. and they're like in the inn or the lodge or whatever it is and then he's like oh yeah you, yeah she reminds me of like an 18 year old version of you or something like that I was like what the fuck is going on like, <laughs> and, like, and then they like kiss and stuff And then, and then she, all of a sudden, well, and she's, like, clearly flirting with him in the scene, and then, like, they, like, start making out, and then she's, like, no, you need to leave. And then, like, from that point on, she was, she was just completely vicious towards him. Yeah. Like, especially, like, um, when, um, like, I, this might be jumping way too far to the end already, but, um, who cares? Um... But yeah, like when uh, she shows up at Jin's room and she's she's like banging on the door and he like he he opens it up and is like oh like what's up and she's like oh you need to go to the hospital and he's like oh like is he okay she's like I don't know or she's like getting like so mad at him and I'm like this does not this this doesn't fall in line with how you were acting earlier in the movie and it's just such a one eighty in terms of um, demeanor. And then, like, from that point on, she's just, like, so cold to him. And, I mean, towards the end of the movie, like, she kind of, like, tapers off a bit. But it felt very strange and, like, it felt very unmotivated for me. And it was, like, little... Well,
0: I think the, the... Well...
1: I don't know. I guess from the beginning, I knew that she was the assistant to... um uh, Jen's dad, because um, it was mentioned very early, and then... Oh, no, we knew that. She, yeah, and then when she had a drink with him at the bar at the very beginning... I did not pick yeah, up on she, she that. Yeah, she mentioned how she had to get back to her husband soon, because she was only going to be there for a day, because Jen mentioned that, oh, I wish you would stay longer, and she's like, yeah, I'm just here for the day, I gotta get back to my husband.
3: In the hospital? So, uh, no, no. That was my... Inter- no, well, I was no, saying hey, uh, I gotta get back no, to no, my I,
1: husband. No, I thought it was pretty clear, but I don't know, I guess maybe...
3: I think it I missed isn't... the professor line at the start.
1: Yeah. And it's like the
3: first line we see her say. And then yeah, on the so second that... watch though, I saw it and I was like, Oh, that's what she was. Cause you kind of, yeah. I did get the feeling. I didn't believe it fully that she was like a trophy wife or anything, but it was like the certain interaction at the bar. And then the one in the motel room where it was like, there's a tonal shift where she's not his aide, mm-hmm. and now they're getting intimate. And it's like harkening
2: back to their relationship. Yeah, that's the thing but, that threw me off.
1: But I, I assume that the way she was acting was because um well he was still not going to the hospital waiting at his father's bedside and also the fact that like he you know, kissed her and stuff, she probably felt, you know, also like Casey like some kind of contempt for him because because he did that. You know and um he was probably those feelings that he had for her when he kissed her was probably for casey or something or it was probably a mixture of the two and um i don't know at least for me i understood what jen was going through because i like i mentioned before like i i understand that kind of dynamic when you're detached from you know your family in some way or um Yeah, like, I don't know, like, maybe that's why I very much empathized with their, the way they were acting, even though they're, yeah, like everyone said, like, they weren't, (laughs) you know, they weren't, like, the most likable characters. Um, Jin kind of comes off like a spoiled brat, almost, you know, coming off from Korea and, like, being this uh, translator, writing, like, um these Korean books into English, you know, seems like a pretty decent job. And he mentioned how he just didn't like it. Like he hated it or something. Um, uh, yeah, fuck. I don't know yeah. where I was going with that. But, yeah.
3: <laughs> but that's where like the, that's where for me, the personal content for certain aspects of the characters comes in. Cause like when I was a kid, there was like a period of years where I didn't see my dad. And the, the idea of not going to the hospital and sitting next to his bed is like, reprehensible in a character
1: especially well, one that, from privilege and wealth i mean that's and, the whole point of it right that's why yeah. they, they kept having that conversation about like it, his beliefs and stuff and and he even understands like if he's not going to do that you know like his father's spirit could haunt him if he dies and he just doesn't care like he he's he's mixed between his beliefs as being an american and then being korean and he just doesn't know where he falls in line with that but like my thing, it's not a
3: hum, It's not a belief system or cultural thing. It's just like a basic human thing. It's like a familiar thing, and it's just something where his character is like with the silver spoon around this all this great architecture that Casey admires, like that
1: fancy house he can just go to with the assistant. Well, I think it's a human thing to have resentment for someone that you don't feel attached for that you don't want to be there.
3: Yeah, that's the true. it's
1: I think it's totally valid to for him like even though I thought okay you know like oh, you yeah. believe what you believe like if you really feel like nothing's gonna change by just you being there then all the more for you like I'm not you know, knocking him for not going to see his dad mm-hmm. I completely get I mean, that uh, I feel uh, like I, I feel him cause my dad wasn't there for me at all so and when he mentions like how his dad was just never there his dad was just more just focused on his work um i get it you know like why because he was in korea he had to fly down he had to be there it's not like he was nearby or he's like visiting his dad every now and again no he was he had his own path in life and he was called down to be there because of you know obligations and um you know that really shows at the end of the film you know like he realized okay i have to be there now like i really have to and um i don't know i feel for him like if if i had to do that if i was forced to do something for a family member that i hated my whole life or not hate but like just felt detached from with without soul like it's just uh like why you know like it's only gonna make me feel insufferable and um and I know, I don't know Maybe I just knew how that's like And maybe that says more about me As a person That um, that I understood that And that he had every right to do that And, um, and Casey It's just like how Casey had every right To be upset with him Because her relationship with her mom is different She feels like she has to take care of her mom Or perhaps it seems like Jen was already taken care of Because of his dad's fame And his dad's status So I
3: don't know Yeah I just didn't like him, and that was my whole thing. Him and Casey as well. As well, it feels like the writing comes through. Yeah. Where we're supposed to care about... Not even. it's a hard thing of, like... I can see the legitimacy of maybe not going and see him. If he's a monster and horrible. Or even, like, you have no emotional connection to him. But then, like, the through line of the film and just, like, the way certain characters interact and the relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, a big one for me is Casey and the mom as well, where, I'm going to keep going back to that line about Spice, as well as the weird, non-explained conflict. There's a couple moments where conflict just happened.
0: Yeah, it was like... like her mom not coming home from work or whatever. Yeah. Or
3: even, like, the mom's
0: co-worker.
3: for her. Yeah. yeah. So she's up to something, but we're not going to find out, and it's
1: apparently not a thing that's affecting her, because she's... And they just never touched. On well, it. I believe it's because it was a potential relapse into her doing meth again, and so that's that's why because she's only working part time. So whenever that's why Casey um, tries to be very punctual about seeing her mom because she doesn't. She's already mentioned that her mother has done that several times with other people, and yeah. um, and she oh and she's recovering so. Mm-hmm. Um, The fact that she probably did it again made her realize, I don't know, that maybe nothing's going to change. And that, you know, maybe I think that's why I like the parallel between her situation and Jin's dad, because we don't know if if that's going to change.
2: See, like hearing you say that, like makes me appreciate that message even more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, because that makes sense
0: that makes total but if, sense. we don't even know if that's what she was doing She yeah. could, they also mentioned how she liked like douchebag guys like she could have just mm-hmm. been like going out like hooking up with a dude or something yeah, but, too
1: but her co-worker was really like covering for her and being really dodgy yeah. right? the, that's yeah. why she was there calling and then seeing what was going on but you
0: could all I'm saying is you could be covering her for her for her doing anything a it could have been it could have been a boyfriend could have been meth it could have been drinking whatever it may be and also I feel like the scenes that, you know, if someone does meth, like, and they come home late... That's the, the next that's touching on the writing themes, I think, is... The th- next morning, th- yeah. it's like, she didn't... She doesn't look like she'd been on meth all night. Like, because, I don't know, I feel like... Although, I guess the following, like, sequence, she was asleep for, like, the rest of the, like, like early mm-hmm. morning scene. So, maybe, but... I don't know. She didn't look, like, disheveled or, like...
2: I feel like, for me, I couldn't pick up on the breadcrumbs. Like, yeah, it was, like, like,
0: what... We don't know. We still don't know. It could be
1: meth or guy or right. whatever. Yeah, know? I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't outright. It like, just, just kind of yeah. had to... They just threw it guess. out there
0: and just didn't yeah. elaborate on it at all.
3: I got the breadcrumbs, but it's just, like, it goes back to the writing and the certain way certain characters are. Like, it's a safari into poverty is the vibe I got from her whole story. Her whole experience is like a safari. We're driving through, we're taking photos of the destitute, but the house isn't destitute. The neighborhood isn't bad because we only see two streets and the really cut-off girl and kids playing in the distance. And that's where like we see diversity in the film is in those two situations where she's going back to her neighborhood But it's just, it feels like, yeah, it feels like there's a certain class or a certain perspective the writer has of the film thats it's not coming through visually. It's not coming through in the character's actions. It's not coming through in how they talk. And the conflict of that relationship doesn't, like, it doesn't come up. It's just, it builds in the background. There's no payoff. There's no, it just feels like, why include it? Why include the relationship with the... uh, the Co-worker. The assistant to the professor... It feels like, like, there's like, things uh, like the whole scene come out Eleanor
1: like, yeah. by, uh, played by Parker Posey, right? Yeah.
0: There's even the whole scene of her and Jin or John Cho, like, watching the co-worker. At, like, where did they work? Was it at a bank and they were cleaning? Was that the bank? Our building or whatever. No, all uh, yeah, the building. yeah, John Cho yeah. and uh, yeah, they're like they're like watching her and she's calling her and like oh, no, she could see her picking. up It's the phone, right, um, right by
1: the hospital. Yeah, that um, his his father's at. So, so they, there, I was they, like uh, they were worked at the side of that building because mm-hmm. um, when he first got there, when he first arrived, uh, Casey was waiting for her mother to pick her up uh, after work. Yeah. So when when he got in, they that's when they first saw each other, and then uh, that's when she went to pick up her mother. So.
0: No, I'm talking about the scene. I think getting a, a different one. Right. Later the in the dance this high school. Later in the film. Yeah, it's like the, the last right. third of the when film. When she was
1: calling the co-worker, right? Yeah, and
0: they're both sitting at like yeah. the pillars with all the names on it. Uh-huh. And there I thought, because she calls the co-worker, and I think she like ignores her the first time, mm-hmm. and then she answers it. Then I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. We're finally going to find out. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, she's like, you can't even hear what the co saying. She's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, okay. Like, I didn't realize that, but okay. And then. That's it.
2: Yeah. It's It's just
0: pointless to me. I don't I don't uh I just don't I don't I don't get it.
2: I feel like there Mm -hmm. were there were a lot of scenes like that. Um uh one scene that bothered me, it was a very short exchange, but um it's when um she's coming out of uh Jin's room like after they spend the night together and then she's walking down the stairs and then she like stops because the receptionist recognizes her And it just felt like such a forced exchange where she's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? She's like, oh, good. Oh, how is your mom? And it was just like, it felt like very robotic. But it's like, when I think about like conversations that I have like that, it doesn't go, it doesn't play off like that. It felt like they were literally reading the lines from the script. Like it felt so robotic to me. And like, I'm like, okay, what is this getting to? And then it just, it's like, okay, that's just reinforcing the fact that, like, she has a strained relationship with her mom. Like, I get that. I get that. The entire movie's about that. And she's meant for better things. And everyone's there to remind her of that. Yeah, exactly. And it felt like yet another, it felt like I was being slapped in the face with, like, um, exposition. Or not even exposition, but, like, forcing motivation onto me. And it's like, okay, but where is this motivation leading to? Like,. Like I, I wanted to see more from her character to, but but when she actually did like let loose, it was like such it felt so messy. Like not in a good way either. Like it felt like it was just sloppily put together. That wasn't burning. Yeah, it seemed. It was not, that yeah. Was it was not yeah, like I don't know, it felt like it felt like when you ask somebody like, Hey, how are you doing? And then they're like, Oh I'm fine like that. Like I don't know It just there was such a disconnect between the characters and like whenever they did divulge information about themselves it felt so forced but i i don't know it feels so counterintuitive to, to use the word force because um which makes me believe that it is the writing that is is leading to that perspective for me because it's like i get like i can see the emotions on the characters but the writing, it just, like, it fails to translate what exactly they're going for in that scene. Or it completely steers it in another direction that doesn't correlate with the content or the, the back and forth between the dynamics between the characters. I don't know.
0: I feel like with this movie, it's not a bad movie at all.
2: No, it's not. No, no. I, th-
0: I would say it's damn near top three, like, cinematography of films we've done or top five I don't know I really enjoyed it I guess it was kind of this, a lot of the same shit so maybe that's why because it, it's just always a cool like awesome shot. but I guess that's also because it's just f- fucking dope ass architecture whereas I guess maybe that doesn't take a lot of creativity it might just be you know point and shoot and like hey let's get this dope ass wide shot let's get this
1: sweet parallel or whatever well I guess if you compare that to a lot of like the other films we already watched like a lot of those films kind of like to show off scenery or lush or like the sky whereas this film doesn't do as much of that they really show you like what the environment's like what the buildings are like what the you know it's almost like frames within frames that's why i feel like this director is influenced by um one car wise uh, in the mood for love because um a lot of the shots are like there are a bunch of squares in the frames, and that's the f- the film is kind of like that too. But you know, um, we're not as like I guess constricted. Whereas yeah. you know, in the mood for love, you're kind of there. Like I was you gonna say, feel like like a you're a lot of wide shots in this yeah, movie. And, yeah. So,
0: but what was I what was I getting at? I don't know. Maybe okay. So maybe it's not top five, but I think it's just great cinematography.
1: Like this movie was probably so well, fucking you fun. You show that shoot. way if you. If you do, because I, I think the cinematography is amazing in this we should That should be a topic that we should we should start doing that top five is that, cinematography.
0: Is, is that, is that <laughs> for, an important part of e- it? For episodes.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I,
3: yeah, I liked it a lot. I just personally, I was like, oh, I think there's better stuff.
1: Well, I guess, there. I mean... It's all preference. I guess... This movie was just we, really
0: fun to look at. Like, I, it was visually... I guess I can... Yeah, I understand
1: why not everyone can connect with it, because I, I do feel... All the the subtlety of the film, and like like I mentioned before, even when she first met Jen, and she's like, "Oh, you can speak English," and then he kind of like acts like a jerk to her. And is like, uh, "What? You didn't think I can speak English? You don't think it? You know, pretty much you don't think an Asian person can speak English? Like I, I've been there before. Like, like, like how could you not think that? Like, what world do you live in? You know? But people do think that just because you come up as a foreigner, which he kind of does, because he. Just like Koganada, you know, they're they're both characters or the character of Jin and Koganada himself were uh, born in Korea and then grew up in America. So he's not completely just Korean and he's not completely just American. He's in between. And um, yeah, I, I just like that subtlety there, like that, that Koganada doesn't have to like zero in on like the issues of being... Asian and then being American and being both and how that's like, like, I don't know. I just felt a very human moment for me. And I'm just like, yep yeah, I definitely been there before. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it, he took the right approach with that and it didn't have to be like so obvious. I don't know.
3: I had a weird feeling about that line. Yeah. So did I. Cause I, I know your experience and us in here in Sacramento, like, of course, that, that happens everywhere in America. But it's just one of those things like this film setting is like a college town. It's not rich, rich, but it's it's very, the architecture is beautiful. It's, it feels like a college town. So, like, the fact that she does that kind of hit me out of left field. I was like, why would Casey say that? Like, maybe her mom or. You well, could
0: dump that on McCoy. It's Nicole also Kulkin. Indiana, though. Well, that's yeah. yeah, that's another thing, right? Well, I mean, I I'm not saying it
1: doesn't happen. Well, it's not just Casey, but I even get that from people within my own community. They're like, oh, wow, you speak really good English. And, you know, it's not just, I don't know how, how to explain it. Like, I, it isn't, I don't just get that from, like, non-Asian people, too. It's just, like, it happens quite a bit. Like, I don't know, I happened in my workplace before, and I'm just like, why did you say that to me? That's kind of a, like, are you trying to give me a negative compliment or what? Or like someone's like, wow, you speak really good English, but like you speak really good English. Like you yeah. went to college, <laughs> you know, like I was like,
3: I'm saying okay. I wonder what he did to your character besides Casey to say, it, and she could be there with
1: them. That's the only hang up. I had well, I mean, yeah. I've I definitely met some educated people that still said some really ignorant stuff. So it's just like, and, and even, even Casey, like even though she didn't go to college, she still comes off as very, Um, level-headed and smart and knowledgeable so you know it could happen to anybody really I think so
2: one thing I'm curious about with this movie um that I mean it's something that like um, after like going to college or after being in the film program um like it's exposed me to like the other side of what I'm about to say but like um when you mentioned Richie that um he that Koganata wrote directed and edited the movie um it it put things a bit more into perspective for me in terms of, like, the tone of it and why it was the way it was. And it makes me wonder, like, I don't know, about the pros and cons of, like, pure authorship, you know? Like, um, when you don't have other influences besides your own and how different things could be. Like, you mentioned um, the different cuts between Vittorio De Sica and the other filmmaker, like... I don't know, it makes me wonder what this movie would have been like had he had, like, even a different editor in the mix. You know, to be like, hey, like, I think that, you know, if you, you know, you're wanting to drive this point home, we can, like, try doing this in a different way. Um, because, like... I mean, because prior to, like, film school and stuff, like, I used to do the same thing because, like, I didn't know anyone who would, like, make movies and stuff, so I would just do everything. But, like, since being in the film program and stuff, like, Pat edited my stuff, and I'm like, dude, like... I don't know what my other stuff would have been like had I been the editor for it. Like, I feel like I would have been like stuck in a bubble. And I don't know, like, I think that in my own perspective, I value collaboration so much because you can, you can create anything on your own if you have the motivation for it. But it prevents you from like learning and being exposed to different perspectives outside of your own uh, existence. And with filmmaking, it's such a collaborative effort that it feels so limiting to just condense it into your own singular voice with such strong positions as writing, directing, and editing it. Um, but I don't know. I, what are your What are your guys' thoughts on that?
0: I think you make a good point. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel very. Like you gotta knock yeah. it out the park, or like, you, it could be a detriment. To, to your film.
2: Yeah. Well, one other thing that I want to mention, too, is, like... Because when you're editing it, like, I... It, obviously, you I'd imagine that bias. He, yeah, yeah. You have, like, such, like, a strong and bias. Like, oh,
0: we... This scene took us fucking three and a half hours to do this one mm-hmm. scene. You're like, this has to be in the edit or whatever. or mm-hmm. Whereas maybe Pat or whoever the editor would be like, no, we don't fucking need this scene. Like, mm-hmm. I don't
2: know. hmm Like, it makes me wonder... Or remember. they just...
0: They make the cut and they see it and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we didn't... We didn't... I, We don't need that. See, and
2: you bring up a really good point with that, too, because, like, imagine all the footage that they shot and, like, if Koganata, And I'd imagine that he had some assistant editors, but since he's, like, since he's in, like, such a high power position of, like, directing and writing also, um, you know, he gets to see all of the footage and it's not being seen by all the other people who see, like, the rough cut or like the cut after that or anything. Whereas if you have somebody else in the mix watching everything with you, then you can be like, Oh, like, should we use this scene? And it's like, Oh, well, I don't know. Like, let's try it out. And it's like, ah, no, I didn't like it that way. Let's try it with this other clip in here. Um, It makes me wonder what the editorial process on this movie was like, um, because I mean, I'd imagine that he had to have like quite a few sets of eyes on it because this is a pretty big movie. Um, But I don't know. But yeah, you bring up a really good point with that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you you you're making sense when it comes to uh how if if a director just has complete 100% authorship over his work that um it could be detrimental when it comes to like I don't know how it could come off to just a casual audience or just anyone really even the studio because sometimes you do need Someone from the the powers that be to tell you like, hey, this isn't going to work. You know, the audience is not going to understand, um, or you know, they're not getting exposition here. You know, we don't understand the motivations, or just too much subtlety, or you know, what have you. Um, But I don't know. I guess for me, like, if a director can get full authorship in this modern day filmmaking, then I I would say it's a win. Um, I would take that over a studio or someone who's just trying to take away the freedom of expression from the actual artist you know i think we've seen it too many times where like you know we've mentioned this like not that long ago like zach Snyder got his work cut up you know and um i don't know like someone like quentin tarantino has a lot of auteurship i mean he has auteurship over his work so sometimes it doesn't work and i hear people say that it doesn't work for like once upon a time in hollywood or um the hateful eight and for me i'm fine with it like i'll watch all three four hours or whatever he had to work with like sure could his movies be cut down yeah but um i'd rather see everything because sometimes the actors in his films are the people that had gotten credit or don't get credit and they're not in there and they don't get to have that and i'd rather have the artist win over the the powers that be so
2: yeah. I, I think you bring up a really good point with Tarantino, especially with the the, the last three movies that he's made, um, because I, I believe that um, prior to that he was working with Sally Me- Sally Menken, his, edit- his editor.
1: He had a new editor, right? Or did he have a new editor for? Um, oh, I, last I, I think.
2: Well, I think Sally Menken passed away. Oh, right, right. And that's why he stopped using her, or that's why he wasn't able to like have her edit his his most recent movies. But you can clearly see such a like a shift in like his storytelling. Um, since then and i'm not the biggest fan of tarantino like i'm just gonna come off like it's just my own personal preference um but like i feel like the movies that were sally menken has not been a part of the process he's been surrounded by so many yes people that he ends up creating these longer cuts that don't have like it doesn't get to and I'm not arguing that like you should like remove every or remove um, parts that the director is like really attached to. Um, I'm saying that like for you have to put the story first. Like if it doesn't serve the story in a substantial way, then I think you should remove it because it's just taking away from the message at that point. And I feel like that was very much the case with um, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, uh, Hateful Eight, and because. I remember, like for a time, I was really into him. Like I loved Kill Bill, uh, one and two, and um, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and and um, Jackie Brown. And but then when I got to these newer movies, like I didn't, I didn't even know about like edit, like filmmaking at this time when I watched like I uh, I don't know if she worked on Inglorious Bastards or not, um, but I know that I definitely recognized it during the Hateful Eight. I was like, okay. It, this is just really indulgent it's really self-indulgent right now like it's yeah. it's clearly a tarantino movie and which is not bad it's not there's nothing wrong with that but i mean like in the case of um and, and richie i completely agree with like the studio like if a dir- if the, if a director is able to get the cut that they want out of a movie as opposed to the studios version i'm all for that as well but that i'm not negating the um the uh, benefits of having a collaborator such as sally Mencken with tarantino because she provided a lot of guidance and cut down a lot of um things that would have otherwise not made pulp fiction or reservoir dogs like as great as they were um but yeah like and even with like bong joon ho and stuff like he like i know him and his editor like they have such a unique dynamic when it comes to um, working on their movies together that they know instinctively what they're going to use and what they're going to like get rid of. Uh, And I guess that the, what I'm trying to get at is, um, uh, when you have additional, when you have like true collaborators, like not yes men or anything like that, like true collaborators that you trust their opinion on and they respect your vision for the movie, um, and the story, um, I guess that um, I'm just curious about like is it is it better to uh, preserve the story as best told if that makes sense um, versus uh, having more content in there purely for the sake of um, uh, what you know the the soul creator's um, desire to have it in there or not that probably came out like a jumbled mess and i'm sorry I know. but
1: like <laughs> yeah. I, I understand what you're uh, asking um, i'll take the former yeah um
3: yeah i want to jump on that because it's there's there's multiple solutions it's not just the studio or the complete auteur i like the kevin theorem of the communal effort of good friends that you can trust and rely and i want to connect how this film is written directed and edited by the one director and connect that to Anne Rand and the Fountainhead and like vicious individualism and another weird upset, obsession, but a little side knowledge thing. I have a small knowledge pool, but was every, I know it's in America, it's in Indiana, Columbus, but like every architecture thing they go to is modern. When mm. there's architecture is like a rich history of different meanings and different, things and like you don't have to i know it's in america you don't have to you can't go to art nuevo in spain or catalonia you can't see that in indiana but you can see it in books or stuff but real stuff is like neoclassical architecture is in every state building unless it's special made after a certain period but it's just the film's obsession with modern architecture which was a response to like industrial architecture and like that's not the newest architecture. We have postmodern architecture now. It's just one of those things, like, I didn't see what the film was saying about modern architecture in relation to the characters themselves directly, because I think there's other architecture forms like postmodern architecture, which is a direct response to, like, the alienation and the the bourgeois nature of modern architecture. I think, like, the Fountainhead's all
0: about... Or, like, the square...
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. the square had some postmodern stuff with the I think the inside of the museum how it's connected to the royal palace, but then there's the weird looking part that's the modern <laughs> stuff. You see that in yeah the San Francisco MoMA. There's there's postmodern stuff everywhere now. This film was made 2017, but it's just like there's conventions and this goes. I don't know what the director was going like. Why attach just modern architecture? You could have given one character of preference for a certain type of architecture I like neoclassical I like the divinity I like the roman inspiration stuff that could be casey who has a deep love for her mom and all the other stuff and then jinn can be the modern modern architecture like very privileged bourgeois in response to the, the generation before and resentment but it's just i it's just one of those hangups i had where like I, I know barely a little bit about architecture and i was like i wanted. Something besides modern over and over, and I want to say that church was postmodern because that it, it looked like an evil spire, <laughs> and that's something a yeah. postmodern <laughs> person would do to make a joke about religion <laughs> or not religion, but like, yeah, it's aware of the conventions of modern and architecture as well as in historical, industrial, neoclassical, all that stuff. And yeah, that's why I've, I felt the characters were like little individualists. I feel like the creator had a strong individualist thing. Like a Rourke? Is it Rourke in The Fountainhead? Yeah, the guy who's like blowing up buildings. If he doesn't have his full say on it, he's destroying the taken away from him expression. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I felt like it could have done more with that. And it didn't. It feels like he likes Rourke. He likes the Rand stuff instead of, like, the more objective stuff.
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know about any of that stuff. So I feel like, I mean, he was very purposeful about how he wanted um, the characters and what he wanted to show. And, I mean, seeing that it is his feature film debut and he had, you know, directing, writing, and editing credit... um, yeah, they, you know, they had trust in him to express what he wanted to do with his vision and um Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, you know, it didn't work for some people and it definitely worked for me or at least. I didn't have any knowledge of architecture and I I I'm just sitting here as a, as an observer. And I think that the way that the cinematography is done really um displays that you know like it, the camera itself is like an observer and we're just listening in on these people and um but uh, you know um I, I guess if he didn't have like full rain, you know he uh there's this youtuber called Alpha media uh he did a video on columbus called for those who feel lost um and kevin you mentioned this earlier you see you see the UC, Uzu, ozu reference by uh, y- uh ozu who is famous, I believe for his pillow shots. And I uh, this film does that quite a bit where they would just cut to, you know, like a, a shot of like the trees and it's raining outside and, you know, you're just wondering like, okay, why are we looking at this? You know, um, I believe maybe one of the purposeful reasons is just to show, Hey, you know, like this is my love letter. This is who I'm influenced from and this is also serving part of my story that I'm telling that I'm a fan of you know pillow shots but I'm also a fan of like showing what life is like in film and this is part this is a character in my film um that could be an explanation not saying that it is but um I I believe that he you know I just believe that that is purposeful to me and um I, I guess I couldn't hard, I couldn't find too many faults with it. Um, yeah, I don't know from beginning to end. Even after, like, like I said, it took me a while after finishing it to 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 say, "Wow!" Like, man, a lot of it really captured me. So. I, yeah, I brought up the Rand thing, just like
3: him getting those three roles for himself. I know the studio may have had faith in him, but it's one of those things, like it feels like it comes through in this through line of the story. It's an individualist thing where it's, it's like detrimentally individualist where I want, like, I want him to trust someone. I know he's trusted to do all three roles, but like, I want him to trust someone who can bring a new perspective. And like Kevin's like how he explained what, like you need, you need certain people to contribute because it's a communal effort. There is our mm-hmm. tourship, but it, it's not com- only few people can make a film completely alone. Like I think we watched, it's a beautiful day. Like, that was almost entirely one man, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, like, that's that's where it works, and I think this is a situation where it doesn't work, and I connected to the Rand where it's like the, the individualist-or-die mentality in her stuff, right? And it's about architecture. It's like a direct correlation between her famous book
1: and the film. And uh, I know how you guys mentioned that maybe some of the acting didn't work, but, um, you know, even Koganada had a say in casting, uh, Haley Lee Richardson, uh, I watched an interview where she, uh, it was mentioned that she didn't even have to audition for the part. She, Her agent just told her that she got the part. And so when she met Koganana, she asked him, like, why did you pick me? And he just said, um, you know, I only saw you in a couple things, but my, my wife really liked you on an episode of Law, Law and Order. So that's why I picked you. <laughs> so I thought that was a really nice little trivia to, to add in there but I, I don't know I thought the casting was great um, I loved her in this role and um, I think it's probably her strongest role yet uh, besides seeing her in uh, Split and um, Support the Girls so I think she had a good she has a good career up ahead
2: so I think all all three central figures of this of the movie have like a very strong like jumping off point like especially with like John Cho like I haven't seen him in hardly anything and I know for like um that period of time he was like starting to pop off in like a few other movies but I feel like um especially well with Koganata himself too like with how much knowledge he knows about movies like I was looking uh when I was looking it up on Letterboxd last night I saw like some of the video essays that were included in there like it's like so diverse in terms of like what he covered and stuff and I feel like since this is his feature film debut, like I, it only makes me wonder about the stuff that he's going to make in the future. Because um, I don't know, I, I I just feel like all three of them have very strong jumping off points from this movie, and I'm excited to see where they go with it. I liked them all too, especially
3: Cho. You saw him Searching, right? Mm-hmm. That's the film that yeah, that's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, yeah the. Yeah. That's my favorite of him, yeah.
2: Yeah, you know Harold and Kumar? Like...
1: I trying not to say (laughs) that. You know, because Searching, I I believe at the time when it came out, it was the first time there was an Asian-American lead in a big studio film, and Searching only came out like a few years ago. So that was like a really big historical thing. So to see him again, you know, being a co-lead in this film and for an Asian-American director, um, again, you know, we're, we're piling on for a history of, uh, Asian American, um, artists. So in film. Yeah.
2: I want to touch upon what you just said too, because, um, I mean, you mentioned, um, that one YouTuber who, uh, brought up like Ozu and Mm. his influence on this movie. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing that I noticed that I was missing a lot from, um, from a lot of American movies is, uh, is the objective camera. Because you see that a lot in a lot of foreign cinema, especially in, like, uh, East, in, in Eastern cinema, like Asia and uh, Russia and a few other countries. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's just basically, like, a static camera, just, like, far away in the distance. And you're, like, watching a scene play out almost as if it's, like, a play, like, on a theater. And it allows you to, like, take in everything and to take in, like, all the, the subtle body movements of the characters. Like, it, it, it's basically like an actor's playground. And I really love that type of filmmaking. And it was cool to see a mashup of of um, the objective camera in such an American movie, you know, like in, in basically the heart of America. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I found that to be fascinating. And especially with like uh, Ozu's influences, because a lot of the... Um, one thing I noticed about him is that in a lot of interior, uh, inside of a lot of houses he does this thing where um, you follow characters and it like cuts in such a unique way that the house ends up developing into a character itself, mm. which I feel like the inn was basically Koganada's version of that. And um, also Casey's house, um, but not nearly to the same extent as the inn. But... I don't know. I thought that that was really cool to see that that influence and in that mashup being brought to American cinema because I feel like it's it's here, but it's not something that you see a lot of. Um, where you're just basically putting a camera on on the tripod and just letting people do their thing without you know having slides or zooms or um, cutting up cutting up close or anything like that. It's just static, and I don't know. I, I enjoyed that aspect a lot.
1: So, uh, anyone have any lasting, uh, impressions before we end our episode? Yeah. I had, a, I had a, I meant to talk about this. The,
3: the, the mystery in the film. I liked, do you guys think Jin got it? Cause I have a, I think he got it. I have a reason for that. What do you mean by he got it? The When he, when he's sitting with Casey, I think it's before she decides to leave. And mm-hmm. he finally, he makes a remark offhand, like, oh, this is the building. And she oh, goes, Oh, this is. How do you know? Because
1: like, of what like his dad referenced in his writings. True, yeah, writing about that. She was you know, like, It's not nearly like, in, not even like top 15 or whatever. You know, it's like in the 19 or 20s mm-hmm. for a favorite. Yeah. yeah. That's where I, I have a deep appreciation for this part where they did use the architecture.
3: Like, along with the, when they meet and interact, it's along the brick wall with the cast iron fence. Mm -hmm. And then I I can't remember the exact words, but his dad's notes, there's something about uh, it defies gravity or it defies nature and it's omnipresent or omni something. Mm -hmm. And then there's the great shot when Jin looks up and it's from the angle they're at. It's like the part of the architecture where the brick wraps around in the front and there's a gap in the middle.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. The camera's so close where it's it's two floating brick walls with a gap between them. And I took it as like an allusion to like the walls between people and how they're non, like you complete the wall in your mind that in that gap, it's not there, but the wall continues. Mm-hmm. It's not visible. It's not visible. It's non, it isn't here to the rules of physics. It's the walls between people. There's two walls meeting at one point that has an invisible barrier. Well, that's my big write-up on that. I,
2: Whoa! I
1: Whoa! <laughs>
2: Just dropping like <my> flames. <laughs> since
1: you uh, mentioned that, it reminded me of the the line where he said his father believed in modernism with the soul. So maybe in the middle, of that is where the invisible you know the invisible soul is, because and that's, that's what modernism is about. So that could tie that's, in with that.
3: Yeah, but I have like my passing knowledge of architecture. I don't think it's something. That was an interesting thing for his father's character. Like, it
1: built his character up more. I wanted more of him. I feel like his father was almost like a spirit following them around in in a way. Um, Even, like, because they were talking about him so much throughout the film. Like, it almost seemed like he is a a character, too. Oh, yeah, the intro.
3: He glides Mm -hmm. a lot. And then when Jin recreates the scene, you see the tranquil view he was looking at that intro. Mm -hmm. I do like his father and Jin... Aspects of their characters—it's just certain writing decisions. But yeah, when modern with a soul, that was one of those things I had a weird reaction to, because it's like modernism is a response to like just pure profit and dressing it up like it's something else. Like it's very much soulless in a way, and that's why postmodernism mm-hmm. is a reaction to that. So I, I want more of that character.
0: We didn't even talk about the uh, attention span versus. Um
3: that was a weird writing thing too. That's not yeah. deep philosophy at all. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <It's not. laughs>
0: well, then never mind. <laughs> well, on. what were you trying to
1: say about <laughs> Tyler?
0: No, I just thought it was. I thought it was like an interesting, uh, like I don't know, interesting dynamic of the dad like I don't know growing up with my dad he was like why are you playing fucking video games oh, so yeah, much no, read no, a like,
1: book I, I, mm-hmm. I like that conversation where she yeah, she was talking to her coworker and he was talking about like oh well you know he thought reading books was boring but video games he was way more attentive but like his you know dad was yeah. more so into reading but you are right Pat
0: I, I was trying to like think on that and I'm like <laughs> interest versus attention, attention span
1: I don't I, yeah. well I don't think people think about that too much though so. Yeah. I mean, it's it is kind of a simplistic. They just go hand
0: in hand. It's like whatever you're interested in is what you'll have an attention yeah. span like, yeah, I feel like you solved the answer. Answer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, like
1: I was trying to like think deep about it. But people <laughs> people don't look at video games as like high art as opposed to reading books. So like, I do. So <laughs> oh yeah, but I'm I'm saying like Halo not 3. not very many <laughs> not very many people are going to like put video games above books in terms of like yeah. high value you know and then mm-hmm. so I can understand that bringing that up because like video games comes off as entertainment and mindless where books are not supposed to be that you know yeah but we get Twilight and all this other stuff or so it's like, just a
0: modernist film so they want to bring up like modern
3: uh, yeah that's another because Baudrillard did there's a great Rick Roger talk on Baudrillard and his example is literally like appearances appearance Frustration and not understanding why a child cares so much about a Super Nintendo Mario game, and he reacts emotionally when he dies, and it's all connects to like playing a game, reading a book, watching a movie. Everything we do in a a postmodern existence is a simulation of something, and like there's like whole big there's big discussions about what's real and what's simulations of like to make you feel something inside because we have no reality, we're not capable of feeling anything real because we're so programmed. And then so when Colkin's character is talking about like attention span and I even forgot the other thing.
1: Interest. Interest. interest.
3: interest. Like there's, there's way, this is like a dude in the sixties writing this or eighties. And then he went on to the nineties and early two thousands. Like there's, there's way bigger pools of information. Just like there's bigger pools about architectural like expression and meaning that I wanted in the film and I wanted the film, but just like, it just jumped out at me. Like I don't.
0: Yeah. I was just curious, like, I was like, oh, that's, like, an interesting,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, he came off, like, very, like, hoity-toity, like, yeah. oh, I have a master's degree, attention burst interest. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious what you guys were going to say, but I'm, like, I tried thinking on it, like, after watching it, and I was like... Yeah, I can't really <laughs> <laughs> find anything.
3: <laughs> it became clear his character was meant to be dunked on. What's that actor's
0: name, though? Culkin. Rory Culkin. Rory yeah. Culkin. You guys should watch uh, Lords of Chaos <laughs> with him, if you've seen that oh, one. Oh, it's, uh, it's about the me- Is like metalhead or it's something. It's about like right? the birth of Norwegian death metal. Yeah. Whoa. And he's the main character. No, mm. oh, it's fucking...
1: This sounds amazing. Gnarly.
0: Honestly, yeah, like, I, I want to check this out. <laughs> gnarly.
1: He's a good actor. I like Rory Culkin. Mm-hmm. Except for Scream 4. Uh, I know it's random, but I didn't really like him in Scream 4. <laughs> so I gotta say. Good movie, though. I still liked it. But,
0: but I was gonna say it earlier, and now after having this conversation, I feel like this could be a bad take. But I feel like this movie doesn't have. It's not like thought provoking. It's like. After watching it, I just was like. Yeah, I took away. Like, I get it. Like, I understand. Like, what they were trying to say, but, like, there's nothing that, like, whereas when we watch like, It's Such a Beautiful Day, or, like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, a lot of the films that we've done, I come away and I'm, like, really, like, touched by it, or, like, affected by it, whereas, like, this, I, I don't know, it just didn't, it's not sticking with me right now, mm-hmm. you I know?
2: I feel the same way, and I feel like, um, I'm still, like, very grateful for like watching this movie. Cause it's like the discussions that we have about it. It's like elevating it for me. And, but yeah, I feel, I felt the same way. Like it, it was like touching upon like unique topics, but at the same time I felt like they weren't covering any sort of new ground with like new perspectives on it or anything like that. Cause it's like, Oh no, I, I've had people like that in my life too, where I have like a lot of an ambivalence towards them where it's like, Oh yeah, they're like my family, but like, I don't really like them. Um, and also with um, you know the the martyr complex of like wanting to save somebody, bold sacrificing yourself in the process for it and it's like I get all that stuff, but it's like show me like a very unique perspective on it because like right now it's just it's just touching the surface of it so I, I get what you're saying like because I I've, like I said I felt the same way, but at the same time well I, I mean just to add on top of that, um, I am I don't know. I've really enjoyed this discussion because I... Because, like I said, I'm glad I watched the movie because I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, But, yeah, I'm just enjoying all the points that we've, like, gone over with it. And, yeah.
1: So, well, uh, that does it for our 28th episode of Lay Film Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for our review of Columbus. So... Yeah, this is uh, quite the experience. Thank you guys for watching this film. And next week, Tyler, you're going to be picking the film. Yes. So we can't wait for your next selection. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: we can't wait to see John Cho in our next episode. He's going to be a special guest. Great film goes to White Castle. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah, well, then that does it. And this is Richard, and uh, see you later.